It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. This is, uh, it's a Tuesday, so if some of you are wondering why Eric Lutie is up here, because uh, this is usually a day that Nathan Johnson would grace the stage uh, with his beauty. And uh, Nathan uh, actually was scheduled to be out of town this week speaking in Tennessee and instead ended up with appendicitis on Sunday and emergency surgery. <laughs> so he's uh, been made to lie down in green pastures this week. And so uh, he's, uh, who knows, maybe he's streaming it. Hey, Nathan. Uh, but I, I've been set to fill in, uh, sorry guys, I, I feel bad that I have to fill in for Nathan Johnson because this is actually, probably those of us that are a part of Daily Thunder, maybe our favorite day of the week, and that's the expositional study on Ephesians that he's doing. So if you've missed that up to this point, you need to go to our podcast and grab our Tuesday uh, editions because it's just been fantastic. My favorite one was his very first one, by the way. I don't remember what it was called, but it was about Ephesians or Ephesus being a deep port city. Had a great impact on me. It's, it, was a, it was a significant uh, movement of grace uh, just in my life, just hearing that message. So I highly recommend that one. I, I should have had the, the name for it. I think this is our 36th episode. If you check our podcast, we have numbers on them now. So you can like literally see what we're at, which I love numbers. 36 is not really a number that I get excited about, but today's going to be an amazing day. Uh, and, but we're getting close to 40. Just imagine how significant that is. 41, a number of new beginnings. I mean, so we got some exciting numbers coming up. 50, imagine we get to 50. I don't know if we should like have kazoos for everyone in here. So it, it's going to be fun. That's the, the neat thing about a daily is you just rack up numbers uh, quickly. So, what am I doing today? So I have a little special two-part series uh, that we're going to go into for today and Thursday, and I'm calling it Spiritual Biography, and I think it's going to be very encouraging. Uh, it's, it's very, I think, important for us to understand. The reason I love biography is I love to see how the Spirit of God takes the same truth and applies it to different lives. And it's inspiring because we know when I read a biography, I know that that person's not me. And yet seeing how they obey, seeing how they respond to the Spirit of God and seeing what God does in them, for whatever reason, gives a practical outlet for me of saying, yeah, like that. Even though my life looks different, it doesn't have to look like that life for me to actually glean from it and be encouraged and exhorted. So I'm gonna go through... Uh, sort of an exercise for my soul to draw out, because there's a difference between just a biography of practical events that have taken place in someone's life and a spiritual biography of the formation of who they are and how they function. And so in this, I'm going to go through two dimensions in my life of what God has done. So today I'm going to cover what's called the idiot preacher. And on Thursday, I still haven't defined what it's going to be called, but it's like the radical father. Okay, there's two dimensions of my spiritual life and ministry and everything that are defined by these two things. And so what I'd like to do is sort of bring that up of the process that God has walked me through. And in so doing, I'd sort of like you to bring, bring you to that point of identification. Because even though you may not want to be the idiot preacher, or you're a girl and you're like, well, how could I be the radical father? The principle behind it is exactly the same. It's the willingness to be foolish for Christ Jesus, and it's the willingness to embrace inconvenience 
in an in extreme way. And so in that essence, that's, that concept, I would like to just sort of draw these things to the surface. So the idiot preacher. This is, uh, if you go back in time to the young Eric Ludi, there were three things that I sort of vowed. It was at that level of pretty strong statement that I would never be. And then there was a fourth one that emerged once I became a Christian, and I realized that there were two different ways you could go as a Christian. One was sort of the kooky way, and the other one was more of a polished professional way. Uh, and I did not want the kooky way. So it, at every stage of life, and it's funny, because even if you asked me now, I'd probably still have a certain list. It's like, God, please don't call me to East Timor, you know, or something like that. There's like, or don't call me to minister to uh, the uh, radical Islamic uh, regime. It's like, God, and so we always will have these lists. I don't really want to build on this list, because God seems to defy my list constantly. But here's what I want to say is a lot of us have this notion that when you come to Christ, he does the worst thing imaginable in your life. And that's just not true. In other words, the way that God has called me and led me is the way I truly, right now, in this skin of Eric Ludi, desire to be. I am built for what I do and I love what I do, even though in the old Eric state... In my unredeemed state, when I was thinking with earthly thoughts and fleshly thoughts and self-centered thoughts, my conclusions were that the Eric that is now standing before you would be miserable. The Eric standing before you now would be, have the worst of lives. So it's funny because I actually know what young Eric would have thought about old Eric. I would have thought, oh boy, poor guy. Uh, I don't want to be him. And yet, I love being him. And so that's the important thing to recognize. God doesn't make your life miserable. What he does is he sets you free to live life as he intended you to live it. But when you are living in that clouded self-state, you cannot see the God plan for your life as good. And so you have a tendency to hang on to your misery. So a teacher, that was the first thing I didn't want to ever become. I'd look around at teachers. Now, my reasoning was pretty uh, jaundiced, but... I, didn't, I, I thought they were underpaid, and I did not want a job that got that sort of pay. I mean, it was ridiculous. Those people were you know, miserable because they didn't have any money. Uh, a missionary, similar reasons, by the way. But missionaries also, they seemed like they couldn't fit in here. Like they didn't have anything better to do here, so it's like they sort of went somewhere else. In my mind, it, was, it wasn't a high position. A pastor, boy... That just sounded like the most miserable thing in the world to be. I, pastors, it's like they had to do this one job that identified them so, so singularly with Jesus Christ that they could not have any popularity rating in the culture. Okay, for me, it was a subtle thing, but I wanted, if I was going to be a Christian, which I was at the time I was even making this list, in my mind I was, I was a believer in Christ, I went to church, but I wanted to be liked. I wanted, I mean, if I'm going to make an impact on the world, it really helps if people want to hear what I have to say. And if you're a pastor, people immediately cut you off. They're like, oh, you're one of those. And so if I could maintain my hipness, that cool vibe to me, at the same time be a Christian, I could sort of cloak my Christian side, worm my way into their life, and they're like, hey, I like you. And then Maybe along the way I could sort of debut the fact that I'm a Christian. And they're like, oh, and they're like, I'd like to give myself to Christ too if I could be cool like you. And so it was part of the strategy that I was working on. I was cooking it up, but it's very opposite the way God works. 
And so that was part of what God had to acquaint me with. You'll see the bottom one. That was a late edition. Uh, number four is the prophet. Uh, I remember going to a seminar once. It was in a huge arena. And this guy was going through some of the spiritual gifts. And he was talking about the spiritual gift of uh, the prophet, is what he called it. And all I can say, it was the worst description of any human I've ever heard. This guy obviously was not one of them. He, he, he had sort of a, a jaundiced, askance uh, look at someone who would have that gift. And he was saying, they see things black and white, and they have a long, bony finger, and they point it at people and then shout. And boy, I did not want that. I did not want to be the prophet, the guy that just speaks clearly and says it bluntly. And, oh, no way. And so, with all humor intact, that is, in essence, the definition of what God did with my life once I yielded it to him. Everything that I did not want to have happen. Now, the reason I say that is to let you know that the guy standing in front of you embraces everything God has done in me. I personally don't look at myself as a prophet, for instance. That wouldn't be my description of myself at all. However, you should hear all the commentary that people give of me, okay, how people talk to me. And it's not a compliment, by the way. Whenever anyone uses the term prophet, it's not like one of those spiritual gift things, like, oh, and I really feel you have the gift of prophecy. No, that's not what they mean. They mean long, bony finger, shouting guy. Okay, anger. People think I'm angry because they hear me. They, they hear some like recording of me, and I'm like, and they think I'm angry. Actually, I'm just passionate. That's all it is, and that's part of the challenge I have. Is I've, I I get translated as the idiot preacher. So I used to travel with Leslie to her different uh, speaking events when she would do them. She doesn't travel very often anymore. And uh, this was a quote that came up quite often because she would invite me up at a certain point in time. And everything is so sweet and feminine at these things. And then I would show up on stage and uh, this was, people would come up to Leslie afterwards. And this is the quote, Leslie, does your husband know that he is really loud? And listen to Leslie's response. This, this will give you a little a basis of where I come from and why I feel so free in doing things the way I do. Uh, yes, he does, and I'm the one that asks him to be. So isn't that good? Uh, that'll, that'll get you loud uh, if you're a guy. Uh, the two maneuvers of the Spirit of God. So this is what I'm going to walk through in these two, this special two-day set on Tuesday and Thursday, uh, Tuesday and Thursday. The making of the idiot preacher and the making of a radical father. I'm trying to figure out a, a way of describing the second one. A radical father, a peculiar father. You see, there's two different varieties of father. There's the normal father, and then there's a father that is stretched way beyond his comfort zone to do things that most fathers would never do. I mean, just think about God the Father. God the Father gives up his only son because of love. That's a radical father, okay? And so when you encounter God Almighty, he forces you to reconsider everything about your life, okay? Popularity ratings, God doesn't seem to care about them the same way we do. And so he's willing to renovate our life and completely alter it so that we behave differently. When it comes to fatherhood and this burden, every father has a natural burden for their children. But not every father has has a burden for others' children or fatherless children or sinners (laughs) that are lost. 
It's a weird thing that can happen inside of us when we allow God to touch these areas. All right. So here's the key question, because I'm going to cover the idiot preacher today. The key question uh, that came to me, and I want it to come to you, because that's the reason I'm walking us through this. It isn't necessarily for, as an exercise for me, as much as it is for us as the body, just to freshly bring these things to the surface in all of our lives. Eric, will you become an idiot for my sake? What, what kind of question is that? Does, doesn't God desire us to have a sound mind? No, that's not really the question. I think we all instinctively understand what this means. It's not that we are an idiot in actuality. It's that we are deemed an idiot by the world. You guys have heard of the dunce cap, right? I don't know if you've ever heard me describe uh, where that comes from, but John Dunce from back in the 1200s was considered, he was a Scottish man, considered the smartest man in his generation, the most intellectual man in his generation. His His name was Dunce. Isn't that just an irony? He wore a pointy hat. Now, I, I, I do feel a little awkward about having to say that. Okay? He wore a pointy hat like a dunce cap. Okay, that's where it comes from. But what it was is it was like a finger pointing up towards the heavenlies, and it was declaring something, that all knowledge and all true intellect comes from the creator of the heavens and the earth, and his name is Jesus Christ. John Dunst taught what was called the primacy of Christ, or the premier position of Christ in all thinking and living. Isn't that amazing? And so when the Enlightenment period arrived, 400 years after Dunst, because for those 400 years, John Dunst was still considered the pattern of true academic understanding. And so he was the pattern of true knowledge of how to ascertain it, how to gain it, and how to build your life around it. And he believed in the primacy or the centrality of Jesus Christ. When the Enlightenment period came, all went south. And the the world wanted Christ out of the center and they wanted to put man in the center. And so what they had to do is begin to persecute the dunces, the followers of John Dunce. So they would stick them in the corner of the proverbial classroom with a dunce cap on and mock it. Are you willing to wear the dunce cap? That's the question for all of us. Are we willing to look like the fool and the idiot, the off-scouring of this world, if we follow Christ? Because that is always the end. Every culture is deranged against God. The spirit of the age is always against the knowledge of Christ. And so are we willing to go against the spirit of the age? Are we willing to go against the world system so that we could follow Christ? It's a question for every single one of us, not just for Eric Ludi. Are we willing to be the idiot? So did you know that's a, that's a word straight from the Bible? Isn't it a weird thought to think, you know, your parents are like, don't say that word. And then you could say, well, <clears throat> Paul used that word. The Holy Spirit carried along Paul to write that word. <laughs> you could use that argument. I'm not saying that any kid in here should. But the word is idiotes. Isn't that cool? Idiotes. And what it means is seemingly unlearned, Appearing unskilled and lacking intelligence. It's exactly what we would guess it would mean, in other words. It is the place that we get the word idiot from. But though I be idiotes in speech, Paul knew that the way he was coming across may look as if he is unlearned, may look as if he is foolish, but he embraced it. Isn't that just an odd thought? Well, Paul, you're such a smart man. Why would you allow anyone to think of you as a fool, as an idiot? 
Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all heavens and earth. Why would you allow anyone to think of you as a common criminal hanging naked on a cross? Why would would you allow this? As a Christian, we yield up that reputation. It is one of the most important steps in our development as Christians is that we give our lives to Christ no matter the cost, no matter where he takes us. The making of the idiot preacher. A lot of people, either they feel sorry for me of the way I speak, like I don't understand what I'm doing. It's like Eric could be so much more effective. He really is. He's a good communicator, but he shouldn't do this, 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 and this. You know that I used to not do this, 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 and this? I, I used to teach communications. I taught people how to win an audience. I taught people, how, I mean, I taught advanced people. I was teaching politicians how to do it. And so I violate almost every single thing I used to teach. You can say, boy, what happened to you, Eric? This isn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. In other words, if I were to teach you how humans respond, what, if you give them what they want to hear, this is what they will do for you. In other words, a politician is built after the pattern of wooing an audience to convince them that you know what they want and you will give them exactly what they want. And so they'll give you their vote. A Christian isn't motivated by getting a vote. A Christian is desirous to see that person changed, to see them awakened. And sometimes you need to love them to a point of discomfort. You need to risk the fact that they may actually not like you by the time you're done talking with them. Why? Because you love them. You love them with truth, even when it hurts. You see, that's the way a parent is supposed to parent their child. They don't tell their child what the child wants to hear. They tell the child what they need to hear. It's because they love them. And the same is true in how we lead the church, how we as Christians function. And that's the beginnings of the idiot preacher, right there. So the background of uh, Eric Ludi is, some of you, I don't know that there's anyone in here that is my age, uh, but I was raised in the era of scandal. Now, technically, you could say the same, okay? But when I was young, we had the scandals of all scandals. If you look at Christian history and you see the beginnings of all these grand scandals that took place, that was right when I was young. Right in my, you know, 10 to 13-year-old age range. So I'm in the church and I'm seeing this thing just like on meltdown. Okay, because most people back then thought that what you saw on television was the Church of Jesus Christ. It was the televangelist era. And then there was all this nonsense that began to just explode. And the media just had a field day with it. And it, it did impact me. As a young man, I felt myself wanting to back away from it intrinsically. It's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So I'm a young, quote-unquote, Christian, but I'm not really desiring to identify with Christianity. So I'm in the public school system, and you don't really want to go to the public schools and then start announcing that, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, like that one guy that lied on television? Yeah, I'm a Christian like he is. Okay, so I found myself instinctively pulling away and not desiring to associate with Christianity. The disappointment in following men. So as I was uh, developing and growing in my faith, there were certain people, because God did get a hold of my life and did awaken me when I was in college, and it was a tremendous transformation, even though I remember actually thinking, I just don't want a Christianity like that. 
Have you ever had that feeling where it's just like you have this idea of what Christianity is and then God awakens you. You're like, well, it's not, what is that then? And you're sort of, you have this other category. It's like, okay, there's weird Christianity and then there's whatever I'm encountering. I love Jesus, but I'm not sure what this is. And so I want to be a Christian, but not like that. So I had these Christian influencers that sort of arose in my life. And I remember uh, when Leslie and I were uh, first married, we, we were, uh, had all these unique opportunities because of our, our first book. And we were at this big, huge convention. I had the opportunity to sit, sit down and, because I had a media pass uh, for the, this event. And so I was able to get into this small gathering with this man that had greatly influenced my life. And I mean, it was quite the experience, right? I get to sit in there and I mean, felt like I was the press and I was able to ask questions if I wanted. And I remember we got done and I came up to him and I was going to say something like, thank you, you've had a big impact on my life. And I walked up to him and I said, hi, hi. And then he got distracted with some guy like named Chuck behind me. He's like, Chuck, hey, I need that to be moved over here. He said, what was your name? I go, my name's Eric. And uh, no, 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 I need it over there. Uh, what do you need? And uh, uh, my, my name's Eric Ludi. I just, no, we need to get going very soon. So he keeps talking to these people behind me. He's distracted the whole time. He's like, what do you need? It's like, nothing. I just, uh, thanks, thanks. I was so disillusioned by the lack of grace in this man. It was so opposite of what I had deemed him to be. You follow me? Okay, this is like, this is hard stuff for a young Christian. Because what you see is you've seen a false version of something growing up that you don't want. Then you encounter someone that, okay, I think he has what I do want. And what do you find? I actually don't want what he has either. Because even if... We all know. I mean, it scares you to death when you hear a story like that, that you've ever treated someone that way. <laughs> However, that's had a huge impact on my life. You know, for all of my years when I would travel and speak, and I'd have lines afterwards with people that want to talk to me, whew, you imagine how that affected me in my thinking. It's like, this is more important than when I'm on a stage. When I'm talking with one person, it is more important. Where did I get that from? Well, yeah, that one story I just shared with you. And so... For me, I was struggling to say, is there really a version of Christianity that works out there? Does anyone live it? Is there something genuine out there? The fear of scandal. I remember when Leslie and I were being pressed into ministry. We did not want to go into ministry. This whole concept of quote-unquote ministry, what, I had never seen a positive thing come out of it. I mean, it was all weird stuff. I, why don't I just be a Christian and live my life and work and make money and be happy and we don't need to call it ministry. Just call it Christianity, right? I mean, this is all my, my thinking. And so I remember God pressing me forward in this. It's like, there is no way. I, I, God, I, I, I'm so afraid that I'm going to be like that televangelist. I'm going to be like this guy. I do not want to tarnish your name. And this is, this is what I said. It was an actual fear that I had. God, I would rather not move forward with you if you were to tell me right now that I'm going to tarnish your name in the end, don't lead me forward now. But if I knew that there was hope that I could go the distance and bring honor and glory to your name, I want it. I want the real thing. The pillaging of a young, enthusiastic couple, uh, Eric and Leslie. 
young couple. We've been married 25 years this December, okay? So we're sort of an old couple now. Uh, Don't tell Leslie I said that, but we're sort of like one of those old couples. I remember when I was young, my parents had their 25th anniversary, and I'm thinking, whoa, (laughs) whoa, 25 years. Now I'm doing it. What? That is so weird that I am that old. Come on. I'm almost 50. So when I, I, I'm, I, this is different. This is the pillaging of a young, enthusiastic couple. When Leslie and I st- stepped onto the stage, we suddenly had influence. And we had big crowds. And we're just this young couple. And I tell you what, it was like the wolves came out to prey on us. And they knew that we had no idea what we were doing. They knew that we had no idea what to be on guard for. And we were eaten for lunch in so many regards. We had people take advantage of us financially, sign contracts with us, like, oh, yeah, just sign right there. You know, the, the movie things, like, no, no, just, just sign right there. Uh, and someone's like, oh, yeah, well, okay. And you just sign. But you're signing things away. I mean, if I were to go into the stories of it, I mean, it's, it's really bad stuff that happened to us. What we saw was the backside of the church, the side that I wouldn't ever want to show you, like what's actually going on out there uh, in the church? It's like, you don't want to see that. I, I saw it. You know how much that impacted me, though? I, I, I was in so much pain for a whole season of my life, wondering, God, why did I have to see this? I just want to have, all these other people are so ignorant of what's really happening out there. Why do I have to know it? Well, I, I was in back rooms with leaders, all the people that were popular back then, I knew them. And I didn't always like them. That was a really weird thing to deal with because then I go back and everyone's just happy as can be enjoying whether it's their music or their sermons and why did I have to know this stuff? Well, it's part of how God shaped me because he gave me a heart for truth. He gave me a heart to say something needs to be spoken that's straight. I didn't want to be the one saying it. I wanted someone else to say it. It's like, God, you need to raise up someone who will just call a spade a spade. The wolves and the necessity to build a sheep pen. When you're young, you don't really understand the spiritual battle. I mean, you know it. You know it's there. You've heard of spiritual warfare and things. But when you end up in these situations and you are attacked and attacked and attacked, you begin to recognize that there really is something known as wolves. So what do sheep need? They need a sheep pen. There needs to be some barrier of protection. And so Leslie and I begin. That's why we have a principle that we call sanctuary. It's like our home is built on a principle called sanctuary. Ellerslie is built on a principle called sanctuary. It's a protected space. In other words, where we have a guard about this. We recognize that the enemy wants to come in, so we need to be on guard. And we need to make sure that we keep a watchfulness over our soul, over our marriage, over our family, over this ministry, and we do not handle it passively. The struggles of knowing how to do this, this uh, ministry thing, Oh, I didn't even like the word ministry. Even the word bothered me. I was like, I don't want to be in ministry. I never wanted to be in ministry. Ministry. Oh, Eric, I'm so happy that you're in ministry. No, I'm, I'm not really in ministry. I'm just sort of living my life as a Christian. I didn't want to be in ministry. Now, I've finally just gotten over that. It's like, it's fine. I'm in ministry. Yes, I'm in full-time ministry. Yes, that's all I really do is ministry. It's okay. I, I've accepted it now. The very real scandal of modern ministry So, there's a lot of young people in here this morning, and there's 
what I always desire, like I want my kids to always grow up with a very clear idea of the dangers that are in, in this world, but I want them to recognize that the God of the Bible still lives, and he still works, and he still leads. And though we live in a time period of great compromise where the church of Jesus Christ is not what it used to be, and it's not functioning as it used to function, it does not mean that it can't function that way in you. And that's one of my great convictions in my life is that I can't wait for someone else to live it. I have to be willing to live it, even if I'm the only one. Now, I'm not the only one any more than Elijah the prophet was the only one, but there are times when you feel like you're the only one. And I don't think it's bad to feel it at times. I think God even presses us that way. It's like, how are you doing? Are you willing to do it even if you are the only one? Now, you're not the only one, but are you willing even if you are? There are so many of us that dearly, desperately desire the real thing. We don't, we don't want a plastic church. We want a real, vibrant church that obeys the word of God, lives it, is marked by love, mercy, kindness, truth. And so... The time period in which we live, because I'm going to say modern, this is the time period in which we live. There are so many leaders, men, women that I know personally that have failed and lost their positions and great scandal has occurred in even our generation. Not just when I was growing up, but this one. Since Ellerslie has started, we've had this happen multiple times. And these are people I know, which is extra odd. When I was young, I didn't know the guys. Now, uh, most people don't ask me, do you know him? But my answer would be, yep. And that's, I mean, there was a guy that taught me constitutional law uh, when I was growing up that was a major leader. Most people don't have any connection between me and him. And he fell. And the impact on me is very unique because it hits me in two fronts. I feel it just like you. I feel it like a normal congregant in the church of Jesus Christ. I feel a, an ache and a pain. It's like, God, what is going on? Why is there such a weakness and a frailty in our leaders? What is this? And I feel it on the other side too. And I don't like the other side. I don't like being a leader. You know what happens when a leader fails? It's weird. But everyone looks at the other leaders and says, are they hiding something? It really is a weird phenomenon. Okay, so if a leader fails and it's like, well, we didn't know that. We didn't know that he had all that hidden stuff. So what's the next thing that happens? Everyone looks at you and they're like, so Eric, what hidden stuff do you have? Ah, I don't know that I have any. Uh, but sh I sure do feel like, have you ever had it where you drive by and there's a policeman sitting there and you immediately check your speedometer? You just feel like you're speeding. That's the way I feel. It's like, hidden stuff? Do I have hidden stuff? What's going on in my life? It's a weird thing. It's different than just being a congregant and being disappointed and going, oh, wow, that's terrible. Now there's a greater pressure on you as a leader. The Eric, the Eric, are you next burden. We had two major leaders that had a great impact over the homeschool community. Uh, this is, I don't know, three or four years ago, that both fell into compromise. All, all, right at the same time, they, they were both exposed. And so we had multiple letters that came in. Sandy was the one that got to field these. Uh, but they didn't know how to ask it, but it's like, Sandy, I, you know, we have the utmost respect for Eric, but we are really concerned. Uh, is there anything that we need to be prepared for? 
with Eric in his life. It's like, how's Sandy supposed to respond to that? But how am I supposed to respond to that? It's like, do I get up in front of the camera and say, hey, people, I have no hidden sin. Doesn't that just sound like you're hiding something? No matter what you say, you, you can't win. All you can do is live your life. That's all you can do. So, Eric, are you next? It's a burden. It really is. I feel such a burden for the church of Jesus Christ today. I see the disillusionment. I know what's happening amongst the leaders. However, what do we need? It's not to excuse the sin. It's for each one of us to humble ourselves before God and say, God, start with me. Start with me and show the world that you still rule and reign in the hearts of men and you still desire to set them free and you still desire to prove your power in this world. The last man standing sensation. I have felt this multiple times. There are moments in life where you look and you feel secure because there's your parents, there's your parents' friends, and you look around, you're like, okay, we have a whole bunch of people. And you, know, you look around and you have the next political candidate that could win the election. Like, okay, I know they could get in there and then they could change things. We find our security oftentimes in looking out and finding those pillars. What happens when all the pillars pass away? And you feel like things are resting on your shoulders now. Now, if you're young in here, you've probably never felt that yet. But it's an interesting phenomenon that does eventually happen to those of us. And I'm going to say all of us. I've only lived in my skin, and I've only had my calling. So I'm not sure what other people feel. But I remember one summer, it was the summer before Ellerslie started, where there was like seven pillars of the faith that all died in one summer. And then I still remember when, when David Wilkerson died, I don't know if you guys remember that. When David Wilkerson died, I got up here on the stage, wasn't expecting to do it, but got up on the stage and I cried. I, wasn't, I didn't ever meet David Wilkerson. I didn't know David Wilkerson, but what was it about that? I felt like he was one of the last remaining pillars. He was a guy you at least knew with David, whether you agreed with him or not, that he was going to speak it straight. Boy, did I love having just someone out there that I knew that, okay, he at least will cover that. Okay, at least he will uh, say it. Then I don't have to. If I know that these guys can say it, then I don't have to. But what if he passes away? (laughs) Now suddenly, you get this burden that you need to be the one saying it. It's as the father, the father burden. It's like the big big hairy spider in the basement and all the kids come running up going, ah, there's a big hairy spider down there. And you're looking around for some other dad to say, can you take care of it? And there's no other dad there, which means it's up to you. That's the last man standing sensation, okay, right there. In other words, it's the man that is supposed to do it. And if you're the last man, that means, gulp, you need to do it. The principle of the loudest man is usually the most guilty. See, I know this feeling. There is a certain understanding that if you shout, if you're like, I'm innocent, I have not done anything wrong that you must be covering something. It's the old Richard Nixon principle. In other words, hey, I'm innocent. Uh, You can trust me. I have no guilt whatsoever. And then he's found guilty. Okay, so as a result, when you're in a leadership position, to be bold and to be strong, if you have that whispering in your ear, the louder you get, Eric, the more actually people might question you. What's the devil saying? Shut up. No. You see, the idiot preacher is born out of defying each of these things. 
you're going to be hit, 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 hit with a thousand reasons why you shouldn't be bold for the truth of the gospel in this generation. And I guarantee you, each one of you, even in the young ones in here, you have reasons why you don't go up to people and share the gospel. There, there are reasons, and they're hanging out in your head. And if, you were to, if we were to take all those reasons and put them into a bubble thought so we could all look at them and examine them, what would we find about every single one of those reasons? They're not true. You know that as young people, you have just as much value and importance in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ as any adult. And from a young age, we need to learn to defy these bubble thoughts. These things that say, Eric, if you keep doing that, people are going to think this. You know how hard it is? I don't want people to think that because it's not true. Oh boy, this is my life. And yet, defy it. You keep going. You keep speaking. You say maybe what would be uncomfortable. I have so many threats, bubble thought threats in my life right now. Eric, if you speak on that, your family is going to be harmed. If you bring up that topic in church and it's streamed and it's recorded, your family will be harmed. You know, I'm not concerned about me being harmed. But what's the devil doing? He's trying to get me with a bubble thought. What do I care about? My wife and kids. This is the tactic of the enemy throughout the ages. Why would men deny Christ? It's not usually because they want to deny Christ. It's because their family will be harmed if they don't. You see, for every one of us as Christians, we need to be ready to be the idiot, which means the one that doesn't look smart. It doesn't look smart to allow your family to potentially be harmed, does it? If you were to examine my life and say, Eric, you, you do know that you're putting your family in harm's way by speaking boldly about Jesus Christ. I know. Am I happy about that? No, not necessarily. It's not like I'm going, yes, my family's in harm's way. However, I recognize that God can take care of my family. My job is to take care of his truth and to prepare my family to live boldly for Jesus as well. The principle of stay quiet and maybe they won't notice you. Now, they has quotes around it. It's a they. Who is they? We don't know. They is uh, a mysterious crew of people out there that has opinion about things. And they will not be happy if you speak the truth boldly. And so we're concerned that they will notice us. Now we could always put flesh to they and we could create groups of they. And they really do exist. There are groups. But most of us live thinking about they instead of thinking about him. Jesus. So stay quiet and maybe they won't notice you. Well, how about preach loudly so that God will stand up and cheer? In other words, why are we playing for they? Why do we care about they? We have the God of the universe as our lone audience. We have an audience of one. Let's live this right. Leonard Ravenhill, my main ambition in life is to be on the devil's most wanted list. I've read that quote many times and I still struggle with agreeing with it, okay, just to be honest. That is a tough one. I like the audacity of it. I like the smirk that is in that quote. But I don't have the desire to be Job, you know, and to, to have Satan go, hey, uh, let me at him. I, I just don't. I, you don't want God bragging about you going, hey, have you considered my servant Eric Ludi? No, 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 God, don't, 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 don't say that. At the same time, there's another part of me that desires it. 
sure you understand. You have the same, probably, the tension inside of you. I don't want to be a target. But I also don't want to not be a target. You follow me? I want to be a threat. I just would like to be a silent one that the enemy can't see, that he doesn't know is hitting him. In other words, I want to be effective in what I'm doing, but I don't want difficulty. I don't. However, as a Christian, I accept it. I accept that this comes with the job description. You ever heard it said, you know, about these famous Hollywood actors or actresses? It's like, hey, they should know the paparazzi comes with it. You get the fame, you get the paparazzi. Those are all the cameramen and people doing all their stuff, sticking them on Inquirer magazine. I mean, miserable. It has to be miserable to be a Hollywood actress or actor. I mean, you're always, everything about your life is exposed. You happen to not put on your makeup one day and walk to the store, and then it's on the front of a magazine. It's like, whoa, this is a tough life, and everyone has no heart, no feeling for that. It's like, hey, well, you're famous. That's what you get. You're a Christian. This is what you get. You're going to live boldly for Jesus Christ. You get difficulty. You get friction that other people don't have. However, a Hollywood actor or actress gets fame. We get Jesus. We get intimacy with the Most High God. The benefits are so grand. What if you are noticed? Well, the devil loves to work against you. If you're noticed by the devil, he will send his barrage against you. And so I had a whole season of my life for three years, a voice of diminishment is what I would call it, constantly speaking. We want to call it a bubble thought. Constantly speaking. You're nothing. Shut up. No one wants to hear you. Three years of my life. And I resisted it for three years of my life. And I had it for three years of my life. And guess what? Now I recognize that voice a mile away. Because humans use it, too. It's like, you're nothing. Shut up. It's like, oh, I know that voice. I'm immune to it. I really am. After three years, the callous in my soul to that voice is thick. The voice of condemnation. Boy, it's a heavy voice. Any mistake you make, the devil, when he's watching, he will hold it over you. It's not the Spirit of God talking. But when you follow Jesus Christ boldly, you need to recognize that these things come with the package. They don't come from God. However, they're a signal that you must be on to something. The devil's giving you some good attention. Refusing to back down, knowing the cost, and knowing full well a splintery cross awaits. So I want you to evaluate your soul condition right now. As you hear this, as you hear about the idiot preacher, there's some susceptibility in you to say, well, I'm glad I'm not him. But there also could be some intrigue inside of you, and God calling you and saying, are you willing to follow? Are you willing? You see, I don't know that I've given a very good sales pitch for how wonderful it is to be the idiot preacher. However, I am the happiest man on earth. Okay, I know it's hard to argue and it's hard to prove, but I still am convinced of it. The invitation to the cross. This is based on the invitation to Shackleton's adventure in Antarctica, where he sends out, he puts this little uh, plug in the paper. And this is similar. It's based on the same phraseology, if you've ever heard that. It's it's good. I, I really like this. So this is an invitation to all of you. Okay, imagine that you pick it up this morning in the newspaper and you see that you personally are being invited to come to the cross. Men want it, women too, for hazardous journey to Calvary's cross, death to self, relinquishment of all control, utter humbling of the inner man are prerequisites to the journey, guaranteed suffering, tribulation, and persecution, rejection from society, certain. Space. Now look at this last line, guys. 
You see, up to that point, if that was it, (laughs) it's a hard sell. It really is. But doesn't this last line intrigue you? Benefits too great to calculate. Yeah, it'll cost you everything, guys. Sure. And I, without blushing, will tell you that. Yep, it costs you your life to follow Jesus. Benefits too great to calculate. And that is not an overstatement. That is an understatement. You get all of who he is forever and ever and ever and ever. And we could keep the evers going, guys, if it would help you. And ever and ever and ever and ever. Never to be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And nothing can ever pull you away from it. What's it going to cost you? A mere season of your existence? A blip? A breath of your life that you lay it down and say, God, you are worthy. Uh-huh. You see, the idiot preacher path is actually the best path. So as a summary in this spiritual biography to start out, because I want it to be your spiritual biography too. It's what I'm, I'm just walking through one way of looking at it, one lens, but it's, it's something we all share. We all are born in a different time period. We all face different challenges, but we all have the same enemy of our soul, the same opposition, the same bait, and oftentimes the same bubble thoughts, guys. You might think that you're the only one with those thoughts, but you'd be surprised. We all struggle with the same tensions. A lot of people just think because they hear me speak boldly or something. It doesn't mean I don't struggle with the exact same desire to pull back. And I've said this many times before. I may be able to be bold in certain situations, and there's other situations you stick me in, and I feel a coward. I really do. I can feel a coward very quickly. Cowardice is a very big part of who we all are as humans. I remember uh, here, talking with uh, one guy who was uh, in the, uh, the war over in the Middle East, and he is as bold as a lion. And he'll, he'll stand up in his trench and, and shoot. And, I mean, just marked for, for bravery. But then if you ask him about sharing the gospel, he'll say it's a completely different thing. He's a total coward. It's like, if stand up against ISIS soldiers boldly, but then when it comes to going up to a human that he's never met and just share the truth about Jesus, he's a coward. See, we can all relate to this. We need something supernatural to invade our life, to lift us out of our cowardice so that we would not live as a plastic church, but that we would live as a real vibrant body in this generation. So, I've caught the heavenly vision. What I want is for you to catch the heavenly vision. Again, this wasn't an exercise for me. This is exhortation to us as a body to say, let's live boldly for Jesus. He is worthy. Father, whatever you need to do inside of us, to aliven, to awaken, to stir. Lord, I pray that we would choose the idiot's path purposely. We would deliberately say we want Jesus over the favor and the popularity of this world. Lord, we desire to have your burden. We desire to have your commission. And no matter what it costs us, we say yes. We accept the splintery cross, the mockery, the scandal, the difficulty, for you are worthy to receive the reward of your suffering. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.
Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.